Good morning. It was dark this morning. Did you notice that? <laughs> it was kind of like, wow, it sure seems dark out there. I, uh, I know this, though. I'm just happy that it was rain instead of snow. How about you? It feels good, kind of getting on this run here that we're in. I love this time of year, and we have so many sunny days, and it's just a great, great time. But we're really delighted that, that you are here. We do kick off, as Pastor Christie says, a new series today. And uh, how many of you have ever read the book of Nehemiah? Just wave your hand at me. Okay. How many of you, this will be your first exposure to the book? You don't know a thing about him. Just Great. Okay. Thank you. That helps me. Nehemiah is a book in the Bible, and you'll find it in the Old Testament. He is a real guy. This is a story that actually took place. It really happened. And he faced so many obstacles and so many issues that this story is so relevant to where we live in everyday life. Now, we've called the series a real creative name. It's called... Nehemiah. <laughs> Say it with me. Nehemiah. Okay, that's going to be the name of the series. And today, I've called this particular message, Harsh Realities of Asking Tough Questions. Harsh Realities of Asking Tough Questions. And what I mean by that is, sometimes in our lives, when we ask questions, I'm not sure we really want to know the answer we're going to hear as much as the answer we want to hear. And Nehemiah is going to ask some friends a question that is going to shake his world and actually change his future significantly. And sometimes in our lives, you guys, God shows up and we have what I'm simply calling Nehemiah moments. What are some of your Nehemiah moments in life where you had something put upon you from God or there was a burden or there was a piece of knowledge about something in the world that you said, this changed me. This can be from loss. It can be from success. But you can look back to that moment and say, I'll never be the same from that moment. Nehemiah moments shape our lives. I asked Bonnie this week, I said, honey, what, what is a, a, a Nehemiah moment in your life? And we started this conversation about these Nehemiah moments in our lives. We went clear back to when we were dating. How certain things shaped us and pushed us in a certain direction. Be it the sovereignty of God, be it the free will of man, both of those things combined. Somehow, I believe, God orchestrates in our lives His will and His good pleasure if we say yes to Him. And Nehemiah is experiencing that. Now, we have, a, we have an interesting uh, segue right now into this message, and it's, it's sort of sad to bring this news to you, but Pastor Terry has opened up his heart and said, I'll be willing to share. Pastor Terry Kelly and his wife Alicia have made a, they're, they're at a Nehemiah moment in their lives right now. And um, they've been here for three and a half years, and uh, God is really putting on their hearts to go help a church in Rockford, Illinois, as a worship pastor. And I'm resisting this with all of my heart, but, but I know God's bigger than me, or you. But I'm, I've asked Pastor Terry if he would come and, and talk to us a little bit about this journey that he's on. And, and he, 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 don't worry, we're not saying goodbye today, because they're going to be here through uh, the first part of May and get through Easter. But, dude, I could kill you. What are you thinking? <laughs> I love this guy. We've been friends for like 15 years. And, and I want to I just use this, this moment, as hard as it is emotionally, for you to maybe, first of all, tell us a little about Rockford, Jeremy, your friend, and how this all came about. Well, Rockford is this beachfront property that we came across. <laughs> 
No, um, it's just Jeremy is a uh, Pastor Jeremy there in Rockford first. He's been a friend of mine for years and had, uh, you know, he'd always kind of said, you know, hey, would you ever want to, you know, work together? You know, I said, yeah, of course, you know, but you don't know where I work and you don't understand who my pastor is. You don't understand how, much, how great I have it. It's a great, I love my life and I love the people. So um, maybe someday, but not yet. And so uh, we kind of, you know, blew that off pretty good. And, and, uh, uh, over this uh, this year, at the end of this year in January, we really started praying and saying, God, you know, we will do whatever you want. Because when you follow Jesus, you know, the uh, the question is not, you know, where, it's who. It's it's not about, you know, what location will I be at, but it's, it's who am I going to follow. And I'm going to follow you, Lord, wherever you lead me. And so we just really felt like God was doing something in our hearts to... Uh, to be open to that, and we were, and and God just, you know, you know, in His way was able to communicate. Yeah, now's the time to make that move. And um, you know, I thought I'd grow old here. Yeah, because I'm so young right now. You know, I just wanted. <laughs> no, I thought I'd be here for a long time, and uh, and and uh, it's, it was really it was really interesting. Yeah, well, I I think one of the questions that we've talked about in journey as our pastoral team have been walking through this, and our staff is. What is it that makes someone say what you just said? The who? I'm following God. And Terry has great job security. People love him. He's just a part of the DNA of Timberline. And, and for, for he and Alicia to have to wrestle through, okay, God, you're putting something on our hearts. What did that feel like for you to come to a decision that says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to say goodbye to so much that I love? And I know God will put a love in your heart yeah. for where you're going too. But talk about that just for a second. You know, it, it, it's really kind of a difficult thing to explain. I think it, it just really comes to the fact that uh, just saying, uh, my Alicia, she's out of town this week, and she really was dying to be here because she loves you guys so much. And uh, she's such a big part of what we do here. Um, but I, I think it really just it just comes down to being open and saying, God, we will do whatever you want, regardless of if it is a the sacrifices we have to make. Because it isn't like... We don't want to ever be here. We want to, you know, we love it here. We're like, how do we do both? <laughs> and then uh, God was pretty was pretty clear that that you know he wouldn't split me in two. So I had to decide on on, on obeying him, and he just kind of, you know, he has a way of communicating that. Yeah. I was just thinking about how the Bible says, uh, "Delight yourself in the Lord, and He gives you the desires of your heart." Well, that's a tricky scripture. Because yeah. you delight yourself in the Lord, He starts to change desires uh, often, yes. and then you start to follow your heart. As you, as you have it in his hands, and he starts to go, oh, we're going over here now. Yep. And uh, so that's what we do. Well, hey, let's say thanks to Pastor Terry for sharing this with us, and just really appreciate him and his heart. And, and I think with the knowledge that um, obviously we're not saying goodbye yet, we do have a plan in place that we're going to continue with Love Expresses and its development. We have a, an interim uh, pastor that has said yes to helping us. His name is Tom Ewing. Tom Ewing has led worship around here for years in northern Colorado and around the country. He's just a great brother. So, so we have some good things in place. But, but I think that's important because Nehemiah, Nehemiah is about to ask a question of his brother and it's going to change his future. He's going to deal with a workload that probably quadruples. He's going to deal with depression. He's going to deal with opposition that he's never had before in his life. He's going to deal with criticism where people say mean things about him, they lie about him. If you've ever been in a situation like that, you know how emotionally tough it is. So let's dive in and let's look at a few things. Turn your bulletin over to the back page. And let me just say, this all takes place in, in uh, uh, 444 B.C. 
And Nehemiah, his occupation is that he is called the cupbearer to the king. You say, well, what is that? Well, that means he is the wine taster for the king. How many of you think you might like that job? Okay. A couple things you need to know about that. First of all, kings in those days, and this happened to be King Artaxerxes, he was known for drinking a lot of wine. All right. So that could be an upside. However, the downside is a lot of people wanted to kill the king. And guess what was the easiest way for people to kill the king in those days? Poison, especially wine. And so Nehemiah had a pretty tricky job. If he stays alive after taking the wine, then they can serve it to the king. So there are lots of issues that he's facing. He has family and relatives in Jerusalem, which we'll hear about, and he's going to face a lot of stuff. He's going to go back and work on rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem that have now been destroyed. I have four questions and a comment on the back of your bulletin today that I want to walk you through. The first one is this. Do I really want to know about the need? Do I really want to know what's going on in the world? Do I really want to know what's going on in, quote, Jerusalem in Nehemiah's case? Do I really want to know? Okay, let me just read from Nehemiah 1, verses 1 and 2. And if you want to just leave your Bible open to Nehemiah, we're just going to walk through some of these verses in chapter 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Achaliah, in the late autumn, in the month of Kislev, which would be the end of November, the 1st of December, In the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them. Big, big, big statement right there, okay? I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. Now, If he hadn't asked that question, if no one had brought a report to him, he could have gone on living his life as he was living it. But no, he asked a question and they told him the truth. Everything is about to change for him because that knowledge is going to push him into action. And that's what often happens in our lives. Do you ever do you ever just sort of like having your head in the sand? (laughs) you, You know, the phrase ignorance is bliss. There is a lot of truth in that. And, and sometimes, you know, when someone says, well, there's something I really need to tell you, you just want to go, la, 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 don't die. I don't want to know. You know, it's this idea that I don't even want to deal with something else in someone else's life or the issues going on in the world. And I don't know if that's just a, a coping mechanism that we have, because our world is so big and it's so close and it's so near us that it's, you watch the news for 30 minutes and you're just on overload emotionally with devastation. Japan right now has just captured my heart. I just, watching these videos of these hundreds of deaths of people and this tsunami that swept them over, that's really happening right now. People are suffering. And how heavy is that on our hearts? Or does it become a movie on the TV that we say, oh yeah, over there, those people... Yeah, yeah, that happens sometimes over there. It used to be when, when we didn't have the media that we have now, you hear about these things three weeks, four weeks, a month later that happened in the world. Now it's, it's boom. The video footage is streaming live right now from almost anywhere in the world. And if you're not careful, you can, you can shut it all out. But if you choose not to shut it all out, you can live really overwhelmed emotionally with all the needs that exist in the world. I can tell you one good news, uh, piece about Japan. Remember our one day to feed the world offering 
that we take, and the money goes to Convoy of Hope, which is a, a ministry that goes in and in world catastrophes. Because you participated in One Day to Feed the World these last few years, Convoy of Hope, they are on the ground with food, with water, with supplies uh, in Japan, right at the core of that. Keep praying for Convoy of Hope. But it made me feel good that over all these years that we've been giving the Convoy of Hope, we, Timberline Church, are a part of the solution in a place in the world that otherwise we would never be. I feel good about that. I'm thankful. But is it enough? Of course it's not. It can't be. Um, number two, here's another question that impacted Nehemiah. Will I take the need seriously? That's a really good question. Because, you know, knowing about something and then taking it seriously means that might actually mean I have to get up out of my chair. <laughs> God forbid, right? And so, so here's, the, here's the thing we have to do in terms of taking stuff seriously. Verse 3, they said to me, Nehemiah says, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Now, this news was extremely hurtful to Nehemiah. You have to understand in Nehemiah's culture, back in this day, the walls of a city were the protection. They did not have firepower. They did not have they had military and it was man to man combat. But the walls of a city were critically important, and the gates to a city were critically important. And when the gates are laid open and burned with fire, and the walls have been torn down, you are suddenly vulnerable to anyone and everybody. Even armies that are much weaker than you because they can't penetrate the wall, now they can just charge right in, pillaging any community they want. So Nehemiah is saying, oh no, what is this like for the people that I love and care for. How can I make a difference? What can I do? I, I've often wondered sometimes what our default reaction is to news like this. When I hear news, what is my um, reflex, if I can use that word? How many of you have ever been to the doctor and he puts you or she puts you on a little table and they, they want you to let your knees hang and your legs hang like this? And then they reach around and open a little drawer and they pull out a little hammer how many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, it's not a big hammer. Let's say, thank you, Lord. Uh, it's usually a little rubber hammer and kind of a triangle. And uh, they're going to check your reflexes. And they say something creative like this. Just relax while I hit you with a hammer. <laughs> and they, they try to find this little point where you just tap it and your leg just, just goes. And you're not sitting there. You know, I don't ever try to fake it like you know, you don't have to. Why? Because when you hit the right spot, then you're, there's a reflex motion of your muscle that just pushes your leg right out. And, and I started thinking about that with our lives and what happens with people who, who have this reflexive response to news in the world. Our knee-jerk reaction, it's sometimes called. I watch people who their reflex is anger. And it's just this moment of anger when something doesn't go their way. Or I see people with severe insecurity just crawl into a shell instantly with their first reflexes just to run away. Or isolation. Or immediate vengeance just to plan to get even. And, and just this crazy look in their eyes. What is your reflexive reaction to the news that can be devastating to your heart? And how does God use us in our world? Wouldn't it be great if the people of God would have a reflexive reaction 
that was God-honoring and righteous. What would happen in our world, and how would the world change if we could somehow learn to do that? I had a kind of an interesting uh, moment this week in studying and praying for this. I felt like God really put it in my heart to talk to some specific people in these auditoriums uh, this weekend. I don't think this is for everybody, but I want you to be open to this if God prompts you. Um, and this, this is the application of the walls and the gates. I think that we go through seasons in our lives when sometimes the walls of protection in our life get torn down. And we, we become vulnerable um, to things that we weren't always vulnerable to. Sometimes it's our own decision, um, and we make decisions and choices that the wall comes down, the gates are opened up, and suddenly we're tampering and flirting with things we shouldn't be tampering with. We let the enemy find a, a place to have a stronghold in our lives, our marriage, in our, our relationships. Temptation becomes very real, and suddenly I'm compromised. And I, I tell you, you guys, when people get to the end of that destruction, they never dream that just one open gate would take them this far. And I, I just feel like there's this moment where God is saying to some of you who have maybe opened the gates of your life to things you should have never opened it to, or the walls have come down and you're completely vulnerable right now. God loves you. He's chasing you. And He wants you to respond today. And He wants you to know there is hope in Him. And, 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 and if you can somehow let Nehemiah, let the Spirit of God come and help build back the walls in your life and put the gates back in place. For some of you, it could be physical need. It could be emotional need. And sometimes those two go together. But I'm just praying over our church right now and our family because I believe God wants us to talk about those vulnerable places that we have in our lives. How have I given way? How am I compromised? The third question is this. What is it that, that moves me to tears? You know, when you talk about um, caring, you talk about being open to the news and, and what is my response going to be, look at what happened to Nehemiah and look at what his response was initially. Verse 4. When I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said... O oh Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant, Moses. What is Nehemiah doing? Nehemiah is owning a responsibility in his own life of his own sin. But it's farther than that. He is also owning the sorrow and the emotional challenges of other people's sin. I expect to repent from my own sin, and, and I think that can make me weep. But, you know, how often is it that I'm going to weep over your sin? How often is it that I'm going to weep over the sins of another nation to God? That's when I get out of that self-zone and I start seeing the world in a different view, a God view. When I am brokenhearted for people who are living in ignorance of God, suddenly I need to be motivated to help make a difference with that. You know, you can tell a lot about a person by what makes them cry. You can also tell a lot about a person by what makes them laugh. 
And those two extremes are very real in our world. This made Nehemiah cry. And, and there are issues in this thing that just blow my mind. Because I, I've been watching something on TV lately called National Geographic Wild. It's a, it's a channel. Anybody get this channel? It's just a crazy channel. They have all these bizarre animals and wild crazy. They have these snake wranglers. These people go into jungles and they actually try to catch these vipers with their hands. And, they're, and it's ridiculous. I find myself watching this interceding for them as they go into the jungle saying, oh, God, help them. You know? And then other times I'm thinking, leave the snakes alone. You know, you start praying for the snakes to get them. You know, I know it's, I, don't, I don't do that really. But every now and then on that show, they have these horrible ads for animals that have been abused that you can adopt. And, and it shows these dogs, and, it, and there's this soft music behind it, and these dogs are sad. And they're, dogs should not look sad. Dogs look happy, right? And, and these dogs look sad, and they, they tell their story. And it's so emotionally captivating that you're, you just almost want to cry. You have to turn the channel and sometimes if we're not careful in our world, we can, we can have so much, quote, guilt that our response is guilt-driven rather than truly a compassion that is birthed by the Spirit of God. And I just, I want to be like Nehemiah. I want us to be a part of a church like Nehemiah's response is, Lord, we will weep over the sins of this world. We care about people who are estranged, whose walls have fallen down, whose gates have been opened, and they are vulnerable to the enemy and to the attack of the enemy. I want to be that. I want you to be that. Let's look at the, the, the final question. What is, that, what is it that moves me to action? What is it that moves me to action? You know, one of the things that, that you see as, as Nehemiah continues to pray, and I, I would encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah over these next few weeks. Just read a chapter or two a day and stay ahead. and you'll, It's so fascinating what you'll find. But what is it that moves me to action? Verse 11 says this. Nehemiah prays, O Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. That's an interesting request, which I want to come back to and talk about. Put it in his heart to be kind today. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Put it in his heart to be kind to me. Give me favor with the king. Now, okay, let's talk about prayer for a minute. Why wouldn't Nehemiah, if he's praying, he's repented, he starts out in his prayer by saying, God, you're the greatest God ever. There's no one above you. And he, he exalts God. Then he goes into this repentance mode of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for me. I'm sorry for my family. I repent for the nation. And then he prays this prayer, Lord, give me favor. Why didn't he just say, God, because you can do it, I'm asking you to put down a new wall from heaven and I want it to slide right down in the foundation, let it come right out of the sky and be a wall that just comes right down so that that wall is secure again. How many of you believe God could have done that? Okay, that's fair. I was worried about some of you there for a minute. It's like, eh... Uh, God, hey, God can put walls wherever He wants. God can do anything. He can t use physical matter. But that isn't what Nehemiah prayers, prays. And I, I'm challenging us with this. Be careful sometimes what you pray for. And think about what you pray for. Sometimes we sort of pray, God, you do all the work. I don't want to feel responsible. Just bring the wall down and let it be in its place so that I can go on enjoying my life. 
when sometimes God wants to answer our prayers in a way that engage us in the solution. That engages to be a part of the answer. And that requires my legs and arms and heart and mind and spirit and, and my intelligence and my wisdom and the things that God can grant me as I go through the process. Because that's why we're here. Because we, the people of God, can somehow hear the voice of God to create a plan to change the world. And guess what? God partners with us. So it isn't just, oh Lord, save the world. Oh Lord, reverse the tsunami. Now that would be nice, but that's probably not going to happen. What will happen is that our hands and our feet and our lives will be touched and moved by the needs in our world. And we will respond because the Spirit of God weeps through us, loves through us, touches through us. That's our reflex reaction. What moves me to action? You know, when tears are not enough, it's about rolling up my sleeves and getting involved. I'm not one that likes action just for action's sake. Uh, just being busy isn't enough. I used to work in a, a glass shop in high school when I was like 16 years old. And, and I was cleaning up the shop most of the time. And, and we had this, this guy with me who was also young. And he was always saying to me, Terry, look busy. The boss is coming in. And his office had this, and I would always, I always say, why are you, I am busy. I don't have to look busy. I am busy. But he had this mindset that if you just ran around more, if you just looked more busy, that that would please the boss. And I don't want us to be a church that's just looking busy. I want us to sometimes stop and reflect and say, let's shoot some darts to the exact spot. Let's give to where it really matters. Let's be strategic about how we make a difference in the world. Last thing I want to say to you, number five. Action requires a plan. You know, you've, you heard, if you were around in January, I really put out about ten things that, that we're working on at Timberline. And I'm telling you, they're coming, they're, they're happening. And uh, in the next few weeks, I'm going to actually be unveiling some of the answers to some of the challenges that we've had as a church with new believers and follow-up and some of the things we're doing with education and, and our, our multi-site uh, with this building in Windsor. And the, the possibility of planting these churches across northern Colorado, you guys, we're getting really intentional about saying, God, we want an action plan that you smile upon, that you have created. And we're simply saying, yes, you provide the way. And as you hear more about that, I want you to just know you're a part of something that's going to change the shape of northern Colorado. We partner with other churches in communities. And I'm looking forward to seeing how God uses it and the stories that come out of it. I, uh, I want our plan of action to not just be us doing the doing, but I want it to be God breathing the life in us to be His hands extended in the world. And I want to pray that over us today. And as we kick off Nehemiah, I want you to just view it as though, God, we're saying, God, we will trust you with our future. We will put our lives in your hands. So help us, mold us, shape us, help us to think like we need to be thinking as we look at the needs of the world. Pray with me, would you, Lord? Thank you for moments like this that we can be challenged. We can be challenged with the needs that we see that are sometimes difficult to uh, get our head around because they're so big. And yet today, Lord, we have this reflection of knowing that you have a plan that you're asking us to partner with. And we care about that today. 
With heads bowed, I want to start with those of you that perhaps have let the walls down. And, and you know, you don't have to raise your hand to this if you're not comfortable with it, but some of your gates have been left open. There's some cracks in the walls. and Maybe the whole wall's fallen. I don't know. But the enemy's come in, and he's either already pillaged you or he's about to. And you can go back to some moments when you open the gate to something you saw, something you did, a, a person that you opened your heart to that you shouldn't have, the issues, financial challenges, whatever it might be. I just, I think there's a good moment here for ownership, for you to say, God, I repent of this. And I don't want the walls of my life to be falling down and collapsing. I want you to help me rebuild my life over these next few weeks and months. And, Help me to restore the gates. Show me what it means to trust you, not to cave in to those things which could destroy me. How many of you, if you want to just slip up a hand, just say, yes, pray over me for this. It's exactly where I'm living. You can put them right back down. It's just acknowledgement between you and God today. Church, we're family. We call this our living room often. And today, I want you to help me pray for these that have just responded, either by lifting their hand or saying yes to God. This is a very important day for these people. Lord, Thank you for brothers and sisters, for family that we love and care for. And thank you for a moment like this when we can, we can pray for them. Lord, I just ask that you would somehow rebuild the walls that have cracked, that have fallen. God, rebuild the gates that have either swung open or they've been destroyed by fire. Your word tells us that the enemy comes to steal, to kill and to destroy us. And so today, Lord, we just pray for hope and life, for forgiveness and strength to be real in our brothers and sisters. God, I pray for the young people who have raised their hand today that you would show them how to have a great start to their life, to build a foundation that is honoring to you. We thank you for it, Lord. We trust you. Secondly, how many of you would say, you know, I I feel like maybe I've lived on overload, but I I haven't had the compassion for the needs of the world. I've sort of categorized it as, oh yeah, that happens all the time over there, or those people, or whatever it is. And, and today, God is stirring your heart to say, I will be moved with tears. I will be moved to pray more. I will become more intentional about caring for the needs of this world that I live in. God loves all people, and He cares. How many of you just need a, a check to say, that's me? You lift your hand and say, God, break my heart. Break my heart for the lost. Break my heart for the world. Renew my compassion and my care. Lord, do that in all of us, I pray. Show us what to do and how we can do it. And who to trust in our caring and our giving. Lord, thank you so much for this. Lord, we just thank you. I want to just lastly pray for all of us as a church that we will be very intentional in this decade about what God is calling us to do and that we get our hearts and our minds behind those things that the Spirit is growing in our hearts, not in a spooky, weird way, but in a practical way where we can say, we're doing these three things and we're going to do them well. Lord, I just ask you to show us how as a church, we know you've given us vision, we know you've given us passion, and we know that you care. And we're trying to follow you and hear your voice every day. So just in these next weeks and months, we just pray as these things unfold that we will be so challenged and that we'll be able to respond in a way that honors you to all the great days ahead. Help us to be your hand. Help our reflex to be God-honoring when those buttons are pushed. 
We love you today and thank you, Lord, for one in these rooms that may not know you at all. If you're here today and you don't know Christ personally, you're just separated from God, just pray this with me right now. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. I want to start a journey with you today because I trust you. I believe in you by faith. And I accept forgiveness by faith. In your name I ask it. And everyone said, Amen. It's true, Lord. Lord, thank you that this earth is filled with your glory, even amidst the pain and the challenges. Send us out as ambassadors today. Lord, help us to walk out of these rooms knowing that you will use our lives as we seek after you to do the things that matter most in the kingdom of God. We love you. We honor you. We thank you for our time together, for your word, for Nehemiah. Let us find strength over these next weeks from his story and his work. In your name we pray. Amen. The service starts now. Get out there and make a difference. Tables in the mall. Our prayer team is going to be up here in both rooms. If you just want to come on up to be prayed for for anything in your life, we'd love to. God bless. Thanks for being at Timberline.